our scripture reading today in Hosea is poetry. And if you think translating narrative stories from an ancient language is hard, it's a whole lot harder when it's poetry. Because decisions have to be made. Do we translate literally? Or do we translate more artistically or creatively, looking at rhythm and rhyme? With passages such as this one, if you have different Bibles, perhaps a different version, or multiple Bibles at home, or look it up online, you can see some pretty significant differences in word choice. Now, sometimes, and you've seen me do this, that if I have a, a bone to pick, so to, spe- so to say, with a translation, I'll share it with you. I think this word should really be translated differently, and here's why. And there are a few places in today's passage I would translate it differently. That's not to say my way is perfect or the only right way, but it shows that I lean a different way as a translator. But I'm not going to do that today, because translating poetry is hard. And I'm going to give it a little grace with the theme of today's passage to uh, the translators for the NRSV UE, which is the edition that we heard and the edition that I'll read from. But one other caveat before we jump headfirst into the scripture today is there absolutely are parallels that we can draw from this passage to the current situation with Israel and Hamas and that war or conflict. But I think it's important to know and to be able to state that Hosea is not prophesying that today. Now, if we want to make comparisons with actions having consequences and with grace and forgiveness being incredibly hard for people to sometimes give to one another, then we can make a lot of comparisons there. When we look at evil and violence and sin in the world, and we see that being driven by an absence of God, instead of following God's will, following our own will, chasing our own pursuits and our own goals, this passage talks about that. It talks about what happens when we chase human pursuits and the danger that can follow. And while there are parallels, that is not unique to the government of Israel or Hamas or Palestine or anywhere else. It is universal. So perhaps with that in mind, let's listen to the passage, the poetry, again. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the balls and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down and fed them. They shall return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword rages in their cities. It consumes their oracle priests and devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me. To the Most High they call, but he does not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboam? My heart recoils within me. 
My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. There's been a lot of, of, of history and story we've looked at over the last few weeks, and I'm letting you know right now I'm going to be very light on that today. You can know that we're a number of generations later, but there's still division and there's fear from other kingdoms, and we hear about Assyria here. But instead, we're going to focus a little differently today. Let's focus just on what this passage tells us about God. I'm going to read through it again, perhaps tweak some of the sentences a little bit. I'm going to remove the context And let's just listen to what this says about God. God speaking. I loved them. Out of Egypt I called them. I called them. I taught them to walk. I took them up in my arms. I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. I lifted the infant's I bent down to them. I fed them. How could I give them up? My heart recoils. My compassion is so great. I will not be angry with them. I will not execute my anger. I will not destroy them. For I'm God. I'm not a person. I am the Holy One and I am with you. And I will not come in wrath. These are the words of the God of the Old Testament. These are the words of God of the Old Testament, who too often, I think it is taught or we hear or we share that the Old Testament God is so different from the New Testament God. This is Old Testament God. And this Old Testament God, I'd argue, is the exact same as New Testament God. Because God is God, Alpha to Omega, beginning to the end, God is God. But the theology in this passage, what we see, what we learn about who God is, perhaps it reminds us of a few things or a few stories from the New Testament as well. And we can see the theme that stays consistent. Perhaps it reminds us of Paul's letter to the Romans. Chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely, therefore, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. Grace and mercy undeserved, not for a desire for a wrath, but a desire for love. See the similarities between the two? Perhaps it reminds us of one of the teachings of Christ, the parable most often titled of the prodigal son. Are we familiar with that parable? Show me, I don't know how long to recap it. 
Okay, I didn't see every single hand, so here's a full recap. Here we go. Right? You have a father with two sons. The youngest one says, Dad, I don't want to wait for you to die. I want my inheritance now. And the father goes, I don't think I should do this, but here you go. The young son goes off and he blows all the money. Ends up having nothing left, nowhere to stay, no food to eat. Comes crawling back home expecting to work as the Perhaps if he's lucky, kind of be the lowest servant and just have a place to sleep and food to eat. He returns, his father sees him and is overjoyed, has a big party, has the best food, gets him new clothes, and is just celebrating. And during the celebration, the party starts, and the oldest son, who had been faithful, was still out working in the field. And he goes, Dad, why are you doing all this for him? I've been here this whole time. And the dad says, because I thought we lost him. And he came back. And you know, everything I have is yours, but today we're together. And let us celebrate that. If we look at that story, a story of forgiveness and grace, were there still consequences in it? Absolutely. The money that the inheritance the younger son blew, was that money still gone? Yeah, it was still gone. Was that time still lost? that time that they could have had together was still lost? Did it recreate resentment and possibly strain the relationship between the brothers and the oldest brother and the father? Yes. All of those things are true. But at the end, what did the father say? Stop fighting, guys. Join together. Be happy that we can be together. Yes, all that stuff happened and all that is real, but this is a time for grace. What we see in Hosea and throughout Scripture is that our actions have consequences. Grace is not about removing every consequence of this world. But what it is about is that those consequences are not the last chapter in the story. They're a part of our story but they're not the entirety of our story because that's not how our story ends. Our story ends with grace. Consequences is not what ultimately decides the future for any or all of us. It is grace. And as we've had this last month-ish of stewardship, the call to stewardship, to stewardship and sharing the stories is not a story or a call about consequences. It's about a response to grace. That there is still a place, to use Sarah's language, a village, where we can be welcome to come and to be a part. I can tell you right now, if this was a room where only perfect people could be here, I wouldn't be here. And I think if we're honest, none of us would be here because we're human, right? But the mistakes of our past are not the entirety of our story. Christ, God, and the Spirit establish where our story goes. And that is through grace. I want to read one more passage from, from today, so the third time that we get to hear it. Actually, fourth time. Who's counting? 
My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy them. For I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. That is our God. That is the one who we are here to gather, to worship, to praise. That is the one where we offer our time, our talents, and our treasure. But if we take this story and knowing the world and the news around us, the question before us, and it's a difficult one and I'm running out of time, but the question is, how do we take that good news out into a world that is caught in this cycle of loss and despair and revenge? There are two things I can tell you. That if we follow the example of Jesus, We don't do it alone, and we don't do it timidly. We don't do it alone, and we do it with courage. Amen? Amen. Amen.